welcome to the C Word, the conservative podcast. Today we're talking about Christmas. It's our Christmas special. Yay! Yay! I'm Jenny Mathiason, an objects conservative based in South Yorkshire. I'm Chloe Ramsey, an objects conservative based in Greater Manchester. <laughs> and I'm Christina Rizek, an objects conservative based in Cambridgeshire. Best intro ever. Just saying. That's amazing. Anyway, welcome welcome to the Christmas special. This is not our usual episode. This is way better than usual. And we're going to start by pulling some crackers because we will be wearing the stupid hats. For people listening abroad, that would be a little paper hat uh, in different colours. That's traditionally delivered in the... Are they not ubiquitous? No. Are they not? Well, I mean, maybe Americans have them. Do Americans have Christmas crackers? I'm sure they probably but i i know that this is not part of my culture uh i'm just saying it's what no we don't have crackers what crackers is to me incredibly british but it's probably what did you, what did you use to put on christmas <laughs> don't ask what's wrong with you <laughs> right so uh surprise to everyone else the christmas crackers aren't actually universal but we're going to pause on christmas crackers and they usually contain a silly paper hat so we're going to wear the silly and paper jokes yes and a joke and usually a crap toy <laughs> uh, or some other freebie uh, by the way i do kind of wonder what a good crap toy would be for a conservator oh, a scalpel <laughs> no, definitely not a scalpel that's not safe <laughs> oh, oh, oh it could be a tiny magnifier that would be quite appropriate oh, oh, yeah. tiny bit of smoke sponge <laughs> okay noises? okay first cracker first cracker yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> I got a small frame. You have a silver Yay! hat. I can't fit it over the headphones. Yes, they fit. It fits over the headphones. Perfection. How big are people's heads? Oh, what rock band is Stephen Coob a member of? No idea. The B seventy twos. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone? That's so. Absolutely okay. Love it. Excellent. Okay. Brilliant. Okay. Okay, Christina, your time for a cracker. Yay! Ah, yeah. Ah. So what have I got? What have I got? What on earth is this? It's a uh, uh, plastic object. I'm gonna I'm gonna peel open the thing. It's a sort of D-shaped plastic. Is it a mirror? Oh, please tell me it's a mirror. It's, it's a, a mirror. mirror. I genuinely send you this. <laughs> You've got a pocket mirror. Oh. oh. <laughs> what do you call a snowman in a museum? I don't know. A slip hazard. <laughs> Time to pull a cracker with the sound engineer. <laughs> Excellent. What did you get? No, it's all in a half. Hey. Oh, nice. You got the... Nail clippers. Yeah. Nail they are always they're, the ones that everyone good. wants and then breaks. And These crackers are cracking. <laughs> they're cracking? Yes. Okay, now take the headphones off. <laughs> are you going to do... Are you going to do paper hat first and then headphones? Mm, no. I'm enjoying the commitment to the bit. Yes. Oh, yes. amazing. Like oh, yeah. amazing. Why is your writing so difficult to read? Sorry. What do you call a penguin in a mammal gallery? Curatorial oversight. Right. One more cracker. One more cracker. This one's mine. I will oh, now. Oh, oh. I want to have my cracker. Oh. That is exciting. Clunk. Oh, what's this? I've got a tiny tin. <laughs> a tiny exciting tin. No, it's it's a yo-yo. It's a tiny yo-yo. 
I, I can't use yo-yos. <laughs> Not to be trusted. It's your hat. <gasps> my hat. My hat. Oh, and a joke. And a joke. I'm so Perfect. stylish well, right now. I mean, I mean we're, we're going to take some photos. Anyway, joke time. What's brown and sticky? A stick! <laughs> Other than that. Sorry, that is just one of my favourite jokes ever. Animal glue! <laughs> oh. <laughs> and that! Ah! <laughs> I'm really glad you liked that one. <laughs> ah. Anyway, we had two more jokes. Had the whole, yes, we have we have spare jokes. Would, would would you like to read one out? No, I was. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, yeah, that's I true. I don't mic anyway. I'm just over here. Yeah, no, that, that's that's true. That's true. But we appreciate you. What do you call a benzene ring with iron atoms instead of carbon atoms? A Ferris wheel. <laughs> <laughs> no, you see, I really like that one. <laughs> one more. One more. One more. <coughs> what do you say to the IPM manager at the medical museum? You seem to have caught a bug. <laughs> if anyone has any uh, better, not necessarily better, better uh, worse, conservation equally jokes, bad, any conservation bad jokes, jokes, send them in. Yes, or, or, them or in. museum jokes, you know, more general. That's also fine. We've really struggled to find some. Um, so there you go. You're stuck with these. <laughs> I've just found another chemistry joke that I'd like to share. Oh, tell us, tell us. Uh, Did you hear about um, what happened when oxygen went on a date with potassium? No, what happened? It went okay. Oh, (laughs) Oh, no. I love love cracker jokes because they're so dad level bad. It's great. great. We did nearly think of some knock knock jokes, but that doesn't quite fit the format of cracker jokes. Cracker jokes are kind of question and answer, really. Mm, Yeah. uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Absolutely amazing. Anyway, there you go, listeners. We've had our little cracker ritual Christmas jumpers and hats. Yes. It's so festive. I have a Christmas jumper, which is from the Natural History Museum, which means it has dinosaurs on it. Ta da. Best jumper ever. Seriously, it makes me so happy. I got it from a fellow conservator as well. So have we encountered any Christmas-related objects Ooh. in the past few weeks as we've been ramping up to <laughs> December? You know what? I tried really hard <clears throat> finding Christmas-related objects online and stuff like that. And uh, I found it quite slim. I think I came across the odd Christmas stocking on like online databases and uh, tinned Christmas pudding. Quite old. Loads of Christmas uh, cards, though. So many oh, Christmas cards. Oh, damn it. That's my mm. Oh, yeah. Especially Victorian ones. Yeah. Loads of dead robins oh, and other weird yeah. stuff. They got really weird in the Victorian times. <laughs> so I have Christmas cards from <gasps> the, the place that I work. Oh, no. Um, Are you going to tweet these? Please tell me. Uh, tweet yes. These. Yes. yes. I have a photograph the first one is it's i will read it out uh, the federation of postmen of sheffield comrades seasons greetings to them wishing them every success in their petition of 1893 whoa i don't really know what it means but i don't know either but i'm sure it was important at the time if and we a have a uh, steve bell greetings from the spirit of xmas present and it's thatch co stocking reclamation and it's margaret thatcher as uh, santa taking stockings away from children <laughs> Um, then we've got um, Christmas and New Year 1918 greetings and peace wishes from the young socialist and there's a sort of extremely turn of the century scene of children skipping through woodland not wearing any shoes so it, it, it strikes me as them being quite chilly 
<laughs> then there is another modern cartoon, two more, two modern cartoons, one Christmas card that says it's a scene of the Mary and Joseph with the crib. Uh, nay, nay, lad, no child of mine is sleeping in a bed made with scab labour. Ooh. <laughs> I feel like this is slightly before my time. But yes, and the one with Santa imagined as a picket line. Aww. A picket line national union of mine workers singing jingle bells jingle bells i feel like santa's gotten well political yeah santa's getting really political he's getting active he's <laughs> getting active he's fighting for his rights i will tweet these excellent i look forward to it because i have to say the museum i work at mostly had christmas cards uh mm. but that's again because we house an archive mm-hmm. without that we wouldn't have anything Christmassy, which is oh, just kind a of shame. Yeah. how about you christina have you ever seen a christmas object weird and wonderful i have yes we in the museum I used to work in, we had a lot of stuff from the heroic age of polar exploration. So sort of from the first couple of decades of the 19th century up to the first couple of decades of the 20th century. And celebrating Christmas on the ice was quite a big thing for a lot of the explorers who were there. I can and, see why. Um, they, they were well, quite. And so we have all kinds of things. Christmas decorations that they oh, had. Wow. Um, uh, I think there's a menu um, from their dinner. Obviously, a lot of it was stuff that had come out of tins and so on. But there is a story about, um, I think it's Shackleton, possibly. Possibly. I'll have to look this up and, and uh, confirm the details. Um, producing a plum pudding <laughs> from what? somewhere from a <laughs> from a sock if i remember correctly in time for their christmas celebrations which uh, kind of you know would, would have made a change to the usual sort of tinned rations that they would have been eating so there, there was quite a lot of that kind of thing in the museum i used to work in you know although what that reminds me of that reminds me of a mitchell and webb sketch in mm. which they are polar explorers and they have some rations with them and they've eaten them too soon and one of them uh, suggests that to stay alive they should eat the christmas pudding <gasps> and they say no we are not beasts <laughs> We are not touching that. <laughs> <Christmas>. <laughs> Pretty much, and, and you know, it's it's all part of maintaining some kind of no- normality yeah. in very very abnormal circumstances mm-hmm. and so on. Yeah. I love um, that. I mean, the the point, of course, is that in the Antarctic, because it's in the southern hemisphere, Christmas, the twenty fifth of December, actually happens in the austral summer. So yeah, in fact, quite. it's it's summertime. It's it's not even mm-hmm. the middle of yeah. winter. I mean, you you might think this is a moot point somewhere where it's basically covered with snow and ice all year round. You know, how would you tell? <laughs> but but Christmas there happens in the middle of the summer so uh, and there's all kinds of midsummer celebrations they have as well so but um we had a lot of photos and things um relating to christmas celebrations on the ice the museum i'm in at the moment my work is almost exclusively to do with stuff coming from pacific cultures so i'm really really hoping i'll get something from christmas island <laughs> at some <laughs> point which is near australia but i haven't yet but i i shall look out for it and uh, if i do i'll tweet oh, it please do, do. <laughs> Because that would be um, cool. I asked the Twitter sphere, etc., if other conservators had worked on anything seasonal. And we did get a few examples. Elaine Miller told us about a lovely glass ornament, like a bauble, but like one that's, you know, oh. in more of a shape. Mm-hmm. I think hers was a little house or something uh, that had been put back together. You know, it, need, <laughs> it needed help. It needed TLC. And that was absolutely lovely. And then Nikki, I think, on Facebook... Uh, said that she she was working on plaster nativity sets. Oh, beautiful. Which uh, I, I can totally picture because I know that my parents have an old plaster nativity set. They're not even Christian. Uh, but they have a plaster nativity set. And I, I, I think there's only, it's only a matter of time until they ask me to repair it. <laughs> it's been smashed too many times by the cat. 
<laughs> and we had a particularly lovely uh, reply from Jessica Lewinsky, who said, any conservative from Latin America knows that Christmas equals treatment of baby Jesus figurines. My favorite case <laughs> is from Mexico, whose yearly procession now includes a stay in the conservation center Aww. to get some tender love and care. Aww. Oh, I absolutely love it. I think that's great. For me personally, I've just, you know, like lightly cleaned some Christmas cards that are coming out for display, particularly ones from the trenches and stuff like oh, that. Because wow. we have a military collection where I work now. So Christmas cards from the trenches are very much a thing that people like seeing at this time of year because mm-hmm. it just reminds them of even in war, you keep a bit of normality uh, by trying to celebrate these things and stuff like that. And uh, I've I've worked on some paper flags for my parents. That yeah. They were antique mm-hmm. um, and they were very much kind of falling apart and falling off the stick and stuff like that. I don't know why they had paper flags, you know, in like 1910 uh, in Sweden. <laughs> don't know why that was a thing, but people loved flags, apparently. Very odd. So those are the answers that we got from the Twitter sphere. If you have any other stories about Christmas-themed objects, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So please do tweet us or email us or whatever. We'd love to see you as well. <laughs> You're right, Christina. Is there anything else you'd like to add or any thoughts you're having so far? No, it's just reminded me that I also wrote a blog um, about um, are polar explorers more likely to be born on Christmas Day? Um, <laughs> because <laughs> as part of my job, I had to enter, I don't know, 250 polar explorers into a database including their dates of birth where known and their dates of death where known and it seemed to me that an awful lot of them seemed to have been born on christmas day and then i started thinking well is this statistically significant or not and so random i did a bit of number crunching as well yes please um, please dig that up statistically yeah what's the what's the deal Uh, well it's it's not necessarily that clear cut because some of these people wouldn't especially the people who made up the crew rather than the officers wouldn't necessarily have been literate and may not even have known their own exact day of birth and there's some evidence that people would go for the nearest feast day for example um rather than you know uh so say you were born on the 27th of december you might just say christmas day because that's easier to remember or whatever (laughs) so it's not necessarily that that clear cut where there is sort of a link it's also not that clear whether polar explorers are more likely to be born on christmas day or people who are born on christmas day are more likely to be (laughs) polar explorers there's quite a lot of evidence that when you are born does have an effect on your life what do we think of Christmas in museums? Like, do you, do we feel that, you know, when people actually deck the halls and stuff like that, do, do we feel yeah. that anywhere does it particularly well? Is it something we should do, etc.? I'm really loving People's History Museum at the moment because there is a gigantic tree in the lobby um, <laughs> with loads of sort of Manchester and political baubles all oh, over it. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and it's coinciding with the Etsy fair that they're Ooh. having there at the moment with handmade of, things yeah handmade yeah. local handmade things um <laughs> that's amazing and uh in my studio at the moment where i work we've been listening to christmas music and we're gonna have <laughs> christmas decorations up and Aww. i think it's just nice to have you know it's not it's a very sort of low key but it's mm. nice to to feel festive isn't Aww. it that's really nice. I think this is one of the things that small museums often do better than the big ones. So our, our local museum always has lots of very seasonally themed activities and decorations and so on. And and the sort of a lot of the smaller museums around us do a Victorian Christmas or come and meet Father Christmas oh, in, yeah. in our thing. And it feels really nice because of the smaller scale makes it more intimate and more kind of immediately relatable. Uh, mm. And I think I just think they do it loads better. As far as I know, our museum isn't the one I work at isn't doing anything special. 
at all, um, although I'm happy to be corrected on that. Um, <laughs> and the only thing I've got to look forward to is a bigger discount in the staff shop. <laughs> uh, sorry, bigger dif- <laughs> a bigger discount in the museum shop uh, during December. That's, that's something. <laughs> I wonder if there are Christmas-themed events and things that people want to put on at the moment that give conservators more of a headache. I'm thinking things along the lines of fake snow... Oh. in the vicinity of museum collections. Fake and, snow, I hate it. Yeah, and events where there are, you know, complimentary mulled wine and mince pies in and around museums. I wonder if that's a thing. People generally getting more lax with the whole snacking and having treats around because it's Christmas, you know. I, I, I wonder if that's a thing. Yeah, and also if people are asked to uh, relax their maybe like flower policies if they have that Ooh. for like maybe mm. people taking uh, evergreen branches and stuff like that. Oh, uh, I know that we yeah. favour artificial ones so uh-huh. we don't have to replace yes. it yes. and that sort of thing. Uh, but there are places where it's really big deal to get the right smell. Yeah, I, I yeah. totally get that because, you know, I'd prefer to have a, a real Christmas tree in my house. Fire hazard, though. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also presumably full of bugs if it's been yes, dragged in yes, from exactly. a wood rather uh, because, uh, than... But, I mean, you can, you can get sprays that are meant to yeah. make things smell like yeah. Christmas trees. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that, 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 no, 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 that, that, that is true. That is true. Uh, I, always, I always wonder, has anything been done on these aerosols, like how they affect things around them? Because I always wonder, are those like giant molecules that just kind of land on my paintings? Or like what happens when they're in the mm. air? But that's just me wondering stuff. Uh, but if anyone has any information on that, let me know. So uh, basically, nobody should have anything except the most austere, plastic, non-smelly, <laughs> non-realistic non-buggy tree and that's that yeah, no fakes no hey, no, that's the Christmas that. spirit they do some really nice fake trees now I'm just saying <laughs> <laughs> they're a bit pricey but they do some really nice make ones. sure that the lighting the fairy lights don't exceed lighting levels LED you know fine we're not worried God, I just have a vision of you in front of the tree with a lux meter now, Chloe. <laughs> no Christmas right, no, cheer allowed. Too festive. Turn it down. Oh, my God, I must, I must draw that. That's amazing. <laughs> no. There are no Christmas trees uh, or Christmas lights in the vicinity of my collections. Thank you very much. <laughs> I feel like most of the bugs that were coming with like evergreen stuff would probably be like a couple of spiders who would just be, oh, be oh. confused and wander into one of the bug traps and go, oh, no. I'm <laughs> stuck. But yeah, no, I do love when music put on a bit of Christmassy stuff and I love seeing them decorated uh, it makes me genuinely happy but then I'm I'm a bit of a softie for Christmas Aww. I quite like it Christmas love fairy nice. lights love fairy lights and stuff like that it's great as you may have noticed my house has more fairy lights I than normal I love them alright what's next on the agenda oh oh Right, so I thought we would do some predictions for 2018. Just they can be personal, or they can be museum sector, or they can be conservation. They can be anything that you want. You're looking at me with a face of no, I've got I nothing. Know, I don't know what to say. No, Go, I've got no, you first, you first, okay, ladies, okay. and I'll uh, <coughs> all right, all right. Um, blag. I think not to be a downer, but I think more museums will close. Oh, and. Well, I think there's going to be a continuing trend of this problem with uh, museums not replacing conservators and there being a more reliance on almost freelance people. I think that's going to be a thing. It's not all happy, but I'm happy to be proved wrong. 
I would love if I was proved wrong. I, I, I would love if we could keep conservatives and, you know, mm. retain knowledge in our museums and not rely on solely on external people. That would be really nice. So listen up, museum people. <laughs> 2018, <laughs> you keep your conservatives. Do you understand? And you stay open and you try hard. I know you already try hard. I know. I think more big museums will experiment with VR. Oh, uh, virtual reality and like headsets and stuff in their galleries mm-hmm. and then realize it's a complete and complete waste of time <laughs> so i'm not very impressed with vr <laughs> so uh, i uh, i think more people will experiment with it mm-hmm. and they'll probably do some interesting things but i'm not super convinced that it's something worth spending time on and money but interesting hey, prediction though but have at it I think it's something that big museums can do, not the small ones, because mm-hmm. I feel like the small ones don't have the budget to yeah. invest in all this equipment and then creating the software and the experience and all that stuff. But the big ones, they will totally have added, I think. I think they totally will. I predict that we will see um, a lot more museums bringing out their suffragette collection and their women's rights collection, it oh. being the centenary of the representation of the People's Act. I like it. 1918. I like it. Bring Partial, it on, ladies. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, women's right to vote mm. for the over 30s. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a really good one. Yeah, that's a good to point. have a route around, yeah. obviously, you it, know, may, within maybe the boundaries of the profession, uh, <laughs> in your stores, see if you've got any uh, women's rights co- uh, related collections. Yeah. Or, you Do know, d- dig around stories and archives and stuff like that as well. It might be that you had some really interesting local suffragettes uh, and it could be worth doing something with them. You know, just highlighting their memory or their stories or something. That would be really cool, wouldn't it? Super awesome. Yeah, nice. I predict there will be an increase in bursaries and grants for conservatives to do stuff because there's not enough money. Oh. So I think there's going to be more money awarded to more people, which is a positive, uh even though it's brought on by something that's Mm -hmm. sad. Yeah. Do we predict that Icon will have another uh, awards, uh, conservation Ooh, awards? Do we predict one. that? Okay, let's. let's when was pre- the let's last one? I can't 2015. remember. 2015. Oh, okay. Let's predict that Icon will have another uh, <laughs> Icon True View award ceremony thing. Yeah. Game on, Icon. <laughs> we know you listen. Come on. <laughs> Uh, no, that that would generally be a lovely thing mm-hmm. to see, mm-hmm. and I think everyone needs something to kind of lift them a little yeah. bit and be like, yeah, oh. conservation's amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that would be really nice. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you should talk to some people. Icon, make it happen. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> have we got it? No, what else have we got? Oh, I've got a sad one. Oh. I predict that we'll see a lot more European conservatives leaving. No, no, I will grip your arm. And leave. <laughs> Didn't say I was going anywhere unless they choose to deport me. Mm. Which we won't know until 2019. So, mm, you know, in, actu- in actual fact, I've got loads of time to prepare and pack. <laughs> I'll be probably fine. <laughs> okay. But I think, I think we'll see a few more leave. Mm. I think we'll see a few more leave. If it's a hostile environment to be in, mm. so it's it's not super great. Mm. So it might just be that people now take the chance to kind of move back or move closer to family, or say, yeah, you know, what? I've got a lot of good experiences from here, and I'll come and apply them in my home country instead. You know, it could be, it could be. Personally, I think this is as much my home country as Sweden, so I'm <laughs> kind of, you know, I'm kind of rooting to stay. Just saying. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> I, if if that does happen, given yeah. that a lot of the UK training courses have a very high proportion of overseas students, I wonder what the effect on the viability of those courses will be. And we've already seen one course close in the last few months, although only temporarily, I think. But I, I do wonder if we might also see courses struggling to survive. And certainly when I trained, I would say it's a minority of students were UK residents, actually. And we had quite a few people from the US, but also a number of people from the EU. Now, obviously, at the moment, the deal is that EU students pay fees at the home rate um, so the universities aren't making any more money from EU students than they are from UK students. Yeah. They they pay the same fees as the home UK students, yes, which is but not the case adjusted, for outside the EU. Yeah, which is they not the case. So 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 yeah. So basically, that's why there's lots of um, US students. Often is because they're they're subsidising it. I suspect they they pay very much higher fees, um, although possibly not higher than they would pay in the United States. But um, I, I, so I don't think it's that universities would be losing funding necessarily if there were a big decrease in EU students studying in the UK. But I think it's more that the, the actual numbers going down might threaten the viability because conservation courses often have very, very small intakes each year, um, you know, sort of 10 students or whatever. So even losing three or four applications could make it seem a bit dicey. Can we have a happy one now? I predict there'll be another viral video that'll make everyone angry. <laughs> That's not a happy one. No, but I said it while smiling and I thought that would help. <laughs> okay, I predict I'm finally going to write the book review that I really, really ought to write and that I haven't done for a long time. And I'm saying it now just to commit myself to it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, Jonathan, if you're listening, I really am going to do it next year. <laughs> you said it now. You said you it. You have. You've said it. On record. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Excellent work. <laughs> I also uh, predict that because I'm working... There you go. This is you, you asked what I wanted to achieve, Chloe. I think I'm, I'm working in a job which has got an unusually high percentage of bench work i would say mm-hmm. um I, I mean almost all i'm going to be doing for next year is is bench work i'm not going to have very much collection care responsibility and so on and the last time i had a job that interventive was about seven years ago because i've been doing very kind of collection carey mm-hmm. kind of jobs since then and so i'm really hoping to uh kind of remember some of my manual skills but also to put into practice some of the really cool stuff that i've been seeing other people doing um, so uh, the collection I'm working with is an ethnographic collection and there's a lot of potential I think for doing some quite exciting things I've seen people doing amazing stuff with Japanese tissue paper and all sorts of you know really cool fills and stuff like that so that's what I'd like to do next year is, is have a chance to play around with some more um, exciting and inventive conservation techniques I think that's great. Good one. That's a good one. Yeah. In that case, I'm going to do something scary, which I'm going to regret this so much. I predict that I will start properly looking into becoming accredited. (gasps) Like, properly doing it. Do it. Yeah. That's a scary thing to say on air. (laughs) That's amazing. I'll make the effort. I will try. You will. Yes. Excellent. Hey, good predictions, people. Let's yeah. let's let's review this in our next Christmas special. This time and, next year, and we'll see and we'll see how much of it held up, basically. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so speaking of the kind of year, have have we all? What's our takeaways from the year? Is do, do we feel like we've achieved anything in particular, or that you know there's something oh, yeah. nice I've that we've learned? Year. I've had an amazing year. Yeah, I got my amazing job, and it's like the best thing that's ever happened but, to me. And Christina, you also got an amazing job. So we hey. both got amazing mm-hmm. jobs. Jobs, and you stayed in an amazing job. That is correct. I have <laughs> not screwed up yet. <laughs> Yes, correct. Uh, well done, everyone. We have jobs. And we started the C word. We yes. started. How did I not think I that? Know, I that know. We started the C word. This is the year of we have, the birth of the C word. Yeah, and we've, we've done two seasons. We've How done amazing extremely is that? Extremely well. I How think. Thank you that? so much to everyone who listens and supports yeah. and interacts with us. Absolutely. Uh, it's really nice to know that we are hitting the right chords for people. Yeah nice and uh we are planning season three for 2018 yeah we are season three is scheduled yeah it's i mean topics are fairly fluid i don't want to change the spreadsheet too many more times because we've had so many ideas (laughs) we've (laughs) since the summer i've just i've put there's just been so much change around (laughs) oh that let's put that in next season all right or what do you want to swap out Yeah, but the the planning, the plan, the uh-huh. plans are in place. Yeah, uh, it's going. Yeah, so uh, you know you won't be without us for too long. Uh, is there anything else we look forward to in 2018 other than uh, continuing this? I'm going to try and buy a house. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh-huh. God, grown up. Yeah. Uh, how about you, Christina? Well, I don't know what I don't I don't think there's any kind of like big career things for me, really. <laughs> Um, have to be I mean, I, I've got a. Uh, no, sure. Um, I mean, I said I said a couple of the smaller things. I, I've got a job for the next year, so I'm just kind of happy taking that as it comes. I've, I've I've got some ideas for what I'd like to do afterwards, but I'm not quite ready to go public with those. So <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Oh, oh, oh I'm, I'm I'm going to go to New Zealand. That's Yay! exciting. Yeah. Go to all the museums. Uh, yeah. So um, if there's anything I must see. Let me know. I'll probably be more on the South Island than the North Island. But let me know if there's anything I shouldn't miss. If you want to meet up, if you want to talk to me, if you want to be interviewed, if you just want to say hello, if you want to let me snoop around your lab, <laughs> basically <laughs> let me know because I'll, I'll be there for a few weeks. So um, I'm flexible, <laughs> basically, uh, on the off chance that anyone in New Zealand is listening. But yeah, so that's exciting. That's kind of cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the antipodes, <laughs> speaking of the Southern <laughs> Hemisphere, um, we had uh, an, a, a brilliant first for the C word recently, which was our first phone interview directly from the ice in Antarctica. <gasps> and uh, I was so excited about this. Um, basically, um, Diana McCormick, who's a objects conservator in the UK, is currently spending a month in Antarctica with the New Zealand Antarctic Heritage Trust, where she's their conservation ambassador. And she emailed me out of the blue and said um, that she'd like to ring us and do a phone interview. And because the only time she could do was about six o'clock on a Sunday morning, (laughs) I I stupidly (laughs) volunteered for this. Um, But uh, yeah, have a listen. It's 6.40 on a Sunday morning and I'm sitting downstairs waiting for the phone to ring instead of being tucked up warmly in bed like the rest of my family. But I don't actually mind because the call I'm waiting for is a first for the C word. We're going to have a live telephone interview directly from Antarctica. 
where Diana McCormack, who's working there with the New Zealand Antarctic Heritage Trust, is going to try giving us a ring. So stay tuned. Oh, there it is. Hello? Hello, is that Christina? Yes, it is. How are you doing? It's Diana. <laughs> Hello, welcome to The C Word. Thank you so much for calling us. We're really excited to have you here. So, would you like to tell us a little bit about what you're doing in Antarctica and how you've come to phone us from there? Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, I'm here this season um, as a conservation ambassador to the Antarctic Heritage Trust. They're a charity based in New Zealand, um, and they're all about inspiring explorers, and it's their mission to conserve and share the historic bases of the early explorers to Antarctica. Mm-hmm. Um so they've already conserved the uh, major historic huts, you know, by Shackleton and Scott, the people that everybody know. Um, and they've, they've conserved over 20,000 artefacts already. And then now we're sort of moving into a stage of maintenance and monitoring and just keeping up the object conservation. Yeah. My role really is to work with the conservators here um, for, for sort of two months, seven weeks. Um, and then to do a bit of outreach and sort of spread the word about the project and get other people inspired. So had you done anything like this before? I've never been to Antarctica before, no. (laughs) (laughs) This is a total first for me, but it's something I've always wanted to do. I've been watching the project as it's been been going over the years. It it just seems like the most exciting, the most challenging conservation project out there, really. Um, So I'm absolutely thrilled that I actually got this post when it came up. Yeah. So what kind of uh, preparation or training did you have to do? Well, beforehand, there, there, there was a series of interviews and medical tests, um, quite quite thorough medical tests. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're sort of fit for the field and not going to get sick while you're out on the ice because obviously the support is a bit more limited here. Um, and then when we arrive in Antarctica, before they really let you off base, um, it's compulsory to do some field training. So my first few days here, we were sent out onto the sea ice and you just sort of got to learn all the, the necessary skills. So, you know, we pitched our polar tents and spent the night on the sea ice and built a little ice shelter to sort of um, keep us safe from the wind. And then you cook your breakfast on a little stove. <laughs> it was amazing, actually. It was, it was about negative 10, and when when I first arrived, it was about negative 30, and you really felt the cold. But after a couple of days, you kind of get used to it, and actually it seems quite pleasant. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and in conservation terms, um, what kind of sort of preparation did you have to do? Once we'd um, completed the training, we were allowed off base, and then I headed out with the rest of the team for a week at the historic huts. Mm-hmm. That was completing the maintenance and monitoring work, so... Um, the first thing we had to do actually was clear all the drifted snow away from the hut as it had been building up for a year. Oh. A lot of ice in there and obviously that puts a lot of pressure on the structure itself um, and makes things a little bit damper on the walls. So that was quite an important job. And then um, once the sort of structural part was um, cleared, we moved inside and uh, went through the sort of monitoring process on the artifacts. So it's really... Um, picking out selected artifacts, recording their condition, monitoring to see if there was any change from the previous year's condition records, 
And then there's a little bit of experimental work going on. Um, you know, they're monitoring metal coupons for corrosion and just trying to um, record the rates that things are decaying at. Yep. So, um, I mean, you're making it sound almost routine, just sort of doing a condition survey, but <laughs> clearly the conditions you're working in are very different from if you were in the UK. It, it was amazing. I see everything takes takes longer, and you just think, what is wrong with me? Why, is, why am I so slow at this? But actually, everything's just a little bit more challenging, and it all adds up really quickly. So, yeah. Um, trying to... To um, the, like okay, so for example, the the first hut at Cape Ro- at Cape Royds, sorry, the Nimrod hut from Shackleton's expedition, um, was the first point that we had to sort of seek out the right artifacts, bring them to the photography table, you know, um, take some good images, and then just write up what what state they're in, comparing it to last year's condition report, and mm-hmm. it, it sounds like such a simple job, but it was negative eleven degrees in the hut, and. Um, <laughs> You've sort of got all your pockets and your gloves stashed with hand warmers. And, um, you know, it's quite dim as well. Yeah. So you've set up lots of lights and you just have to concentrate so much not to, you know, trip over cables or trip over your giant boots. Um, you've got to <laughs> fix everything on the photography table with your gloves off and then get your gloves back on really, really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> it just slows down a lot. So, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it's amazing how, how much slower your, your mind works and when you're really cold. Mm. I know um, from talking to other people who've been out there as well that a, a lot of things just don't work. It's things that you would take for granted like batteries or computers or yeah. adhesives. Even when you, when you stash your sleeping bag full of all your batteries, the, the camera batteries were dying inside of half an hour, 40 minutes. Yeah. So you've got to have an awful lot of spares and you're going up to the, to the hut to... Um, swap things over and just warm yourself up yeah yeah so um how long are you going to be out there all together it's, it's seven or eight weeks um i've been here for about a month now we've got a couple of weeks left uh once we came back from the field it, it it's really been uh starting on object conservation work in the little lab here at scott base mm-hmm. um and that's a little bit easier, obviously, because we've got heating in there. <laughs> um, and we're not sleeping in tents anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's much more kind of routine. So it's, we've got some objects from the huts themselves. Um, and interestingly, I've also got a batch of objects to work on that have been sent back to um, the Antarctic Heritage Trust, mm-hmm. which um, had been removed from the huts back in the 50s and 60s. Right. And then have spent the intervening years uh, maybe in America or, you know, with a, with somebody quite often who'd worked in the Antarctic in the 50s or 60s and they'd, they'd picked something up. Um, and when you compare them to, to what what's in the hut now, it might, might be a can of cocoa and there are hundreds of cans of cocoa, mm-hmm. but they're in really good condition. So actually it, it's done them a wonderful favour and now they're going to be conserved and sort of they, I'm applying protective coatings to them so that they can go back into their place in the hut where they came from. So what what sort of differences are you seeing in condition uh, between the ones that uh, have... Corrosion. The level of corrosion, right. Okay. Yeah, so um, obviously that, the huts are very, very cold, and it, in some cases that's, that's quite good for preservation. Um, they're also very dry. 
normally, but then during the summer months, the temperatures can rise a little bit, and then things can get moldy. There's a bit of mold growth, so uh, that was another one of the tasks, just suppressing the mold growth wherever we find it. There wasn't too much. Um, and then, um, yeah, obviously when, when the humidity rises then, and the slightly higher temperatures, the corrosion can take off. And over the over the last century, really, um, some of the metal artifacts have suffered quite badly. So the objects that I'm seeing coming in um, from America that have just been donated back, they're, they're in much better condition. There's hardly any corrosion on them, so they've got a much better chance now because we can apply the protective coating before they go into that mm-hmm. environment. And, yeah, hopefully they'll, they'll last a bit longer. Okay. And um, presumably it's a maritime environment as well. So are you seeing damage from salt and so on? There is a lot of salt as well, yes. Yeah. You can see it sort of crystallising on the the inside of the the hot walls. Um, And a lot of the metal artefacts have to be desalinated as well before they can be treated. Yeah. Um, all All the huts pretty much... You know, they, they were built as, as prefab buildings and they, they were all floated straight off the ships. So wherever the ship was able to uh, to get into, they, they built the hut probably 50 metres away on the beach, you know, so it's very salty. At the minute, however, we've been working next to the sea ice um, because it's all still frozen. But I think in the next month or two, a lot of those will, will open up, like at Cape Royds, but um, I think there's already open water. Mm-hmm. Once is that now this year. Um, and Cape Evans will be unfrozen, I think, probably by January, February. And the water can come right up to within <laughs> 20 metres of the front of the hut, I think. It's, it's, it's like a beach. Yeah. <laughs> Very beautiful beach. Yeah. So um, what, what have you been doing when you're not uh, conserving things and condition surveying and so on? How, how do you spend your time? Well, uh, today was a day off. Um, Actually, and I've been onto the Mount Erebus glacier tongue, mm-hmm. looking at ice caves and doing a bit of ice climbing. So everything here is pretty amazing, to be honest. Um, you can't really go wrong. I mean, I, I, when I look out the window now, there I'm looking at the Ross Ice Shelf, and there are Weddell Seals just lying about all around the pressure ridges, and you know you can you can go cross country skiing, you can go hiking up the <laughs> up Observation Hill. There, um, it's really you're never bored. Um, last night we were invited over to McMurdo Station, which is the American base just over the hill, uh, to celebrate Thanksgiving dinner with them. Everybody's very hospitable. And- so, did you have turkey or <laughs> tin turkey? Or <laughs> I had the, I had the veggie option. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, there there are about nine hundred people at the American base and um, Scott Base, the the New Zealand site where I am, is, is about ninety people. So. Um, you know, they, they work together quite a lot. I think they're, they're quite close neighbours. Mm-hmm. And um, you're coming back just before Christmas back to the UK. Is that right? Yes, I think we're, we're scheduled to fly now on the 9th of December, I believe. It's been brought forward a little bit. Everything changes here because of the weather. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think it'll be a bit of a shock to go back to, to the dark. Yes. It's 24-hour daylight here at the minute. <laughs> Um, in fact, yes, this is this interview is going to go in the Christmas episode of the podcast. 
Um, and um, we were thinking, oh, yay, it's going to be all kind of Christmassy and, you know, talking to someone in Antarctica. But in fact, for you, it's midsummer at the moment, isn't it? Summer, yeah. It's still more snow than I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you looking forward to when you get back to the UK? Anything you really miss? I should say I miss my husband. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure. It's just like a completely different world, and it's kind of a bit strange because I'm wondering if um, everything is, is real back home. You know what I mean? It's, it's just a completely separate world. <laughs> and what do you think you'll miss from Antarctica? Oh, everything. It's just the most amazing place I've ever been. It's Everything here is just a little bit more special than you expect it to be. You know, when it, um, when the we- when the wind drops and the weather's really fine, it's the most peaceful, beautiful place. Mm. When you're confined to base because there's a giant windstorm, it's just so impressive to stand and look out the window and, you know, see maybe only... 20 metres away and there's just snow blowing everywhere mm. you see the hut creaking around you um, yeah it's just the most amazing place mm. do you think you would go back if given the chance I think if they would let me I'll, I'll probably be applying again but we'll see what happens <laughs> <laughs> so um, does the do, does your part in the project carry on after you get back to the UK uh, yes I'll be doing a little bit of outreach when I get back to the UK mm-hmm. um, doing some presentations and a little bit more social media outreach. Um, the idea is really to spread the word about the project and inspire other people to sort of engage with it. Um, they, this is the first time this conservation ambassador role uh, has been a part of the program and it it will continue into the future, I think, but I'm not sure yet what that's going to look like. Mm-hmm. And that will be an opportunity for somebody else, obviously next year, to sort of... Um, you know, throw the net as wide as possible. Yeah. So uh, how do you think you'll be able to apply your experience in Antarctica back to the day job when you get back home? Uh, well, um, I work at the National Museum of the Royal Navy in Portsmouth mm-hmm. um, on conservation of historic ships and submarines. And that is obviously quite a challenging job as well. Um, they, they do actually share some problems in common with the historic huts down here. Um, like the way the um, timber in the hut degrades in the, the sort of salty, cold environment. Um, so there's a lot of really useful stuff um, that I've done here that, that's um, quite applicable back home. Um, it has made me realise that um, as challenging as the ships are, there are bigger challenges out there. And a lot of the, the work we've been doing with protective coatings and, and just seeing how how effective that really can be mm-hmm. um, when done in a certain way. Uh, I think that's going to be really useful to me, particularly with the historic submarines, which are just full of, of different metals and a lot of modern materials in there. It's been wonderful as well to watch the heritage carpenters at work, um, and I think that it's something um, I'd, I'd like to get them to uh, meet up with our our team at HMS Victory, because they, they've got a lot in common. <laughs> So you're making all sorts of connections, which is nice. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, a lot of uh, the team are, are from different places, so that um, 
mostly from New Zealand, but one of the carpenters this year is also from the UK. And then in the past, you know, it's, it's been quite a, quite a wide international pool working down here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I've gotten a little bit handier at, at certain things. It, it's a bit like a conservation health farm in that way. It's, um, you know, making you be really disciplined. Like even working in the in the lab here at the base, everything's very very dry. Um, so when you're applying consolidants, it's just like paraloid um, to something. It, it goes off so quickly. And you're trying not to leave any brush marks and things. So yeah, it's, it's um, tightened up my my skills, my hand skills. Are you finding a lot of differences in the way the materials themselves behave? Uh, I mean, apart from the dryness, the cold. Yeah, trying to keep things fluid, uh, stop them from freezing, and uh, like we said, you know, battery life on things has been quite difficult. Yeah, you just have to be mindful of that all the time and and work through it. So, quite challenging conditions all round. Before you go, um, would you like to wish all our listeners happy Christmas anyway, even though it is midsummer for you, just because it really would be a first for us to have a Christmas message from Antarctica? Certainly. I'd like to wish everybody back at home and around the world, whoever's listening to the C-word, very Merry Christmas from a very snowy and cold place. Thank you. And also, happy midsummer. <laughs> <laughs> Whichever, that covers both uh, hemispheres. So. <laughs> Well, um, thank you very much for calling us from Antarctica. Um, we're really excited to get your call, and it's been great to catch up with you. And I hope you have a safe journey back um, and enjoy the rest of your time there. Okay, thanks for uh, getting up. I know it's Sunday morning there. Oh, no, no, that's all right. I'm enjoying a quite cup of tea before the rest of the household gets up, so it's actually quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, take care. Great. Thank you. Bye. Hey, uh, we tried making, uh, rewriting a famous Christmas carol. And uh, do you want to hear what that sounds like when it's sung? Do you? You do, don't you? You do. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. On the first day of Christmas, my true love sent to me a tube of be 72 second day of Christmas my true love sent to me Two purple gloves and, and a tube of me seventy-two On the third day of Christmas my true love sent to me Three fresh vines, two purple gloves and a tube of me seventy-two On the fourth day of Christmas my true love sent to me Four crawling ferns, three fresh vines, two purple gloves, and a tube of seventy-two. On the fifth day of Christmas, my true love sent to me five old rings. Four crawling ferns, three fresh vines, two purple gloves, and a tube of seventy-two. Thank you.
fresh fine smooth purple glass and a tube of me seventy-two. On the eighth day of Christmas my true love sent to me eight books of binding, seven pots for packing, six hats of with B72. The 12 Days of a Conservator's Christmas featured words by Chloe Rumsey, Jenny Mathiasen and Christina Rizek based on a traditional carol in a musical arrangement by John Rutter. The singers were Christina Rizek and Tom Such and the musicians were also Christina Rizek and Tom Such many times over. Merry Christmas everybody! So uh, the nice people at Pels, that's Preservation Equipment Limited, have given us uh, some lovely things to have as a Christmas giveaway. Now they are the sponges and erasers and things like that that we actually talked about in the last episode. And uh, they are, you know, we've we posted pictures of them and stuff like that. So you know what you're getting. And this is now a giveaway. It's the big prize. It's the grand prize. And uh, all you have to do to enter is you have to send us in some way a picture of your favorite tools or toolkit. Yes, or toolkit. Uh, it can be anything that you do use in your daily conservation life. We'd, we'd just love to see what, what you do, what you've got. If you send us this via Twitter or Facebook messages or email or email, basically any way that you can get us a photo is an acceptable way of entering. You can be anywhere in the world. You know, it just has to be your tools. 
that's it those are the rules you also have to be able to give us an address so that we can actually send you the price <laughs> so if you're one of these people who was like no i'm not gonna tell you where i live or where i work then you're no good to us uh, you you have to tell us where we send the price but anyway if you get us these photos by the 20th of january 2018 that is the deadline then we will judge amongst ourselves we'll pick the top three and then uh, randomly pick the winner from those three yeah I, i'm excited are you excited i'm excited yeah i, I love think it's seeing people's stills it's like it's like stationary but better oh yeah yeah way better but yeah so uh please send us your best photos of your tools or toolkit or sing singular tool whatever you want we would just love to see it do by january 20th and thanks again to pal for sending us these oh so that's all from us yeah i think that's everything it's everything for season two can you believe it come so far well we look forward to seeing um seeing you all in the new year i guess seeing you all in the new year yeah. we can cyber see people yes it's fine that sounds weird <laughs> yes thank you so much for listening uh yeah thank you merry, merry christmas, christmas and a happy new, new year, year. Yay! yay and may your scalpels <laughs> may your scalpels always be sharp and your b72 never stringy oh i love it listening with the c-word and you've been listening to christina rosaic chloe rumsey and me jenny Firefun. this is the last episode of season two we will be back for a third season don't you worry in the meantime you can check out our website at the show tweet us at the c-word podcast or simply email us on the c-word podcast at gmail.com the intro and outro music is spring by Didi music used under creative commons attribution license this has been a Wooden Dice production. Merry Christmas, everyone, and see you next year. Yeah.